Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's prime minister for the past 12 years, is about to be replaced by Naftali Bennett if the coalition government is confirmed in the Knesset, Israel's parliament. The Washington Post-owned publication Foreign Policy reported the following. Barring any last-minute defections before the official investiture vote in Parliament, the new government will be a narrow and complex power-showing coalition among some eight parties spanning the ideological gamut. Their only common denominator? The toppling of Netanyahu after 12 straight years and 15 in total in power. Naftali Bennett, head of the pro-settler Yamina party, is set to serve as prime minister for the first two years, after which Lapid, head of the centrist Yish Atid party, will rotate into the top spot from the foreign ministry for the remaining two. The incipient government will also include left-wing parties Meretz and Labour, centrist faction Blue and White, and additional right-wing faction Yisrael Beitanyu and New Hope. The Islamist United Arab List is set to join the coalition as well, marking a historic first for an Arab-Israeli party. This will be one of the strangest coalition governments Israel has ever seen if it actually comes to birth. Now, the Israeli electoral system is a very fragile system. Israel uses proportional representation with a closed-list form of democracy. Each party sets out its list of candidates in order. Votes are cast for the party list, not for individuals, and when the party gets enough votes, a candidate gets elected. The first person on the list becomes the first person to get a seat. Each party is allocated seats in proportion to the number of votes it receives. A party must have 3.25% of the vote, or four seats, to be able to sit in the Knesset. To form a government, an Israeli party or coalition of parties must hold at least 61 seats. A government can recruit other members of parliament to maintain its coalition if any members drop out. Now, this has resulted in two things. A very volatile election system where 24 elections have been held in Israel's 72 years in history, with four since 2019. Israel's style of proportional representational democracy is considered pure and goes to show that democracy is purely flawed. No party in Israel has ever won a majority of seats and has always had to make an alliance to form a government. The problem in Israel is vast and various divisions of opinion, both political and religious. The party with the most seats has often been held hostage by a smaller party deemed the kingmaker that decides if the government stands or falls. Well, just about every commentator and analyst uh, concur the alliance that has been cobbled together in Israel has only one thing uniting them, unseating Netanyahu. Now, ironically, it's an ancient Arabic proverb that states, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. This is what has happened in Israel this last week. Enemies have become friends to overthrow the enemy they all hold in common, Netanyahu. It is a bizarre group spanning the spectrum of Israel's political world. On top seat is Yish Atid, which has 17 seats, or almost 14% of the vote. It's a centralist party led by Yair Lapid. He was once a TV anchor who left his job in journalism to become a politician. Yish Atid claims it represents the center of Israeli society and the secular middle class. It is against the military draft exemption allowed for the ultra-Orthodox Jews so they can study Torah. 
it forms the biggest party in the bloc to unseat Netanyahu. Next is Blue and White, with eight seats, or 6.63% of the vote, and is considered a centralist party led by Benny Gantz, a retired army general who has been the Minister of Defense in Netanyahu's government since forming an alliance with it in 2020. Blue and White defines itself as a pluralistic alliance representing all citizens on the political and religious spectrum. Gantz was supposed to become prime minister in October of this year, but his hopes were dashed when a government collapsed in December 2020. Yamina, meaning right wing, has seven seats, or 6.21% of the vote, and is an alliance of right wing parties. Its policies include Israel as a nation state of the Jewish people, unity of the land, opposing a Palestinian state, and developing settlements throughout the country, extending sovereignty over the territories of Judea and Samaria and the Jordan Valley, defeating terrorism, encourage Jewish immigration into the land, or Aliyah, economic competition and liberty, and the right to work, or an anti-union, uh, amongst other policies. Yamina's leader is Naftali Bennett, who, although he only has seven seats, is set to become the prime minister for the first two years of the alliance mandate, if that is, it can survive. Now, Bennett is the son of U.S. immigrants. He served in the special forces as a commando in the IDF. He sold his software company for over $100 million uh, in 2006 to enter politics. He was the chief of staff for Netanyahu's government from 2006 to 2008. He was the director general of the Yisha Council, that's the organization representing the settlements, from 2010 to 2012. And Bennett held ministerial uh, seats in Netanyahu's government, including education, economy, religious services, as well as Jerusalem and diaspora affairs. In 2019, Netanyahu dismissed Bennett from the government, Bennett's new party, Yamina, became part of the opposition in 2020. Next is the Israeli Labour Party, which holds seven seats, or 6.09% of the vote. It's a social democratic and Zionist political party. It was formed when the three leftist political parties merged in 1968. And until Menachem Begin uh, became prime minister in 1977, all the Israeli prime ministers were affiliated with the Labour government or its predecessors. The Labour Party supports the Israeli-Palestinian peace process, and the leader is Merev Makali, a former journalist for the Haaretz newspaper. She's a feminist and an activist. Following this, we have Israel Betenu, or Israel Our Home, which has seven seats, or 5.63%, and it grew out of the secular Russian-speaking Israeli base. It's a secular center-right to right-wing nationalist political party. The party takes a hard line on the Israeli-Palestinian peace process. Its main platform includes the recognition, though, of a two-state solution and the creation of a Palestinian state. Israel Betenyu is led by Avigdor Lieberman, a Russian immigrant who has held the host of, a host of roles in various governments, including a deputy prime minister, minister of foreign affairs, and minister of defense, amongst others. Lieberman was once the director general of the Likud party. After this, we have New Hope with six seats, or 4.74%. It is a center-right to right-wing political party. 
Its policies include a strong capitalist mixed economy. Um, it supports the reduction of Israeli uh, bureaucracy, and Gideon Saar is the leader of New Hope. He was a member of the Likud from 2003 to 2014, holding positions as Minister of Education and the Interior. Saar was an intelligence officer with the Golani Brigade. Saar opposed the Gaza disengagement plan, and Saar has been considered to be Netanyahu's replacement until he left the Likud and formed New Hope in 2020. After this is Meretz, with six seats, or 4.5% of the vote, and it's a left-wing, secular, social, democratic, and green party. Its platform emphasizes a two-state solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, social justice, human rights, religious freedom, and environmentalism. Its leader, Nitzan Horowitz, was a journalist for several Israeli companies. Horowitz became a Knesset member for the Meretz party in 2009, making him the second openly gay member of the Knesset in the history of Israel. Horowitz became the leader of Meretz in 2019. And finally, there's the United Arab List, or Ra'am. It has four seats, or 3.79%, just making it past the post. It is an Arab party in the political wing of the Islamic movement. The party supports the two-state solution and the creation of the Palestinian state in the Gaza Strip with East Jerusalem as its capital, along with equal rights for Arab citizens in Israel. Its leader, Mansour Abbas, supports conversion therapy for LGBTQ and youth to reform them away from the gay lifestyle, which is not in keeping with Islam. This is the first time an Arab party will join Israeli governing coalition. So this group of very diverse political parties, including the ultra-right, ultra-left, communist, capitalist, Islamist, gay, anti-gay, secular, and religious, has absolutely nothing in common to build an alliance on except its united purpose of bringing Netanyahu down. The shaky house of cards has a razor-thin majority of 61 seats out of 120. Now, it may succeed in destroying Netanyahu, but how long it will remain past that is hard to see. Well, Bennett defended his decision in the midst of a massive backlash from the religious right in Israel. He stated, Over the past 30 months, the state of Israel has been in chaos with one election campaign after another. This political crisis is unprecedented. Now, 2,000 years ago, there was a Jewish state which fell here because of internal quarrels. This is not going to happen again, not on my watch, end quote. Well, Bennett has referred to Netanyahu's struggle to hold on to power as his personal Masada. And Bennett somehow has managed to negotiate his way into the prime minister's position, even though he only has the support of 6.21% of voters, which is only 4.19% of the eligible voters in the country. Netanyahu has 24.19% of voters, and Lapid has 13.39%. But there are two big questions. Number one, Will the Knesset vote to approve the government, i.e. will the alliance hold until next week? And number two, how many weeks will the alliance last past its goal of unseating Netanyahu? The mix amongst the brothel of bizarre bedfellows makes it the most insecure government Israel has ever seen. The Economist stated of Naftali Bennett, 
In order to effectively lead the new government, Mr. Bennett will have to suppress some of his more right-wing views. In the past, he has opposed the Palestinian state and favored annexing much of the West Bank. He is an ardent supporter of settlers, once leading the council representing them, even though he was not a settler himself. Some regard him as more right-wing than Mr. Netanyahu, though not nearly as ruthless. He's also an observant Jew, and if sworn in, he'd be the first prime minister to wear a yarmulke or Jewish skullcap. But Mr. Bennett notes that he's not the only coalition member with what some might consider extreme views. For the, government, the new government, he says, to succeed, all the partners will need to exercise restraint, he has said. No one will be asked to give up their ideology. Everyone will have to postpone the realization of some of their dreams. We'll focus on what we can do instead of fighting over what we can't. End quote. Well, this might be a little bit more difficult than he believes. Bennett's base supports annexing Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, as he stated in February of this year. As long as I have any power and control, I won't hand over one centimeter of the land of Israel, period. End quote. Well, Bennett rejects the idea of a Palestinian state and the capital in Jerusalem, which the other parties in the alliance support. This is the issue the Bible indicates will draw the nations down, as we read in Joel 3, verse 1 to 2. For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will plead against them for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered amongst the nations and parted my land. So here we see the possession of Judah and Jerusalem, the area of the West Bank and its capital, Jerusalem, is what draws the ire of the nations. So one wonders how an alliance can possibly stand that is made up of such disparate parties. The Lord himself made the observation in Matthew 12, verse 25, every kingdom divided against itself is brought into desolation, and every city or house divided against itself cannot stand. And this has been Israel's issue since its conception, but it's becoming more and more clear that there's a huge divide in the country uh, in these days. Now, democracy is what is driving this whole mess. And democracy is a dirty word. It is government of the people by the people. And it's basically a human construction that runs under the assumption that man is basically good. And if you get enough good people together, then the outcome of the decisions made by the collective group will be good. Well, if this notion is true, how is it that Hitler was voted in? How could Hamas have been democratically elected? This is man's invention and ignores the principle made clear in the Bible. Man does not do well in ruling himself, as we read in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Now, the reason is clear. The heart is deceitful above all things, says Jeremiah in chapter 17, verse 9, and is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And this is reiterated by the Lord Jesus Christ himself in Mark 7, verse 21, where he states, From within, 
Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Now, some of the democratic decisions made in the Bible include things like mm, building the Tower of Babel, stoning Moses and Aaron and appointing a captain to return to Egypt from Israel in the wilderness, uh, rejecting God and Samuel and making a king for Israel, and eventually crucifying Christ, uh, just to name a few. Now, democracy is flawed because man is not basically good, but evil, and collective decisions often default to evil thinking. The alliance in Israel is a perfect example of why Christadelphians cannot involve themselves in politics. To achieve anything, principles need to be compromised. The righteous cannot make alliances with the wicked, as the proverb states, chapter 29, verse 27. An unjust man is an abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. How can the Jews, who believe in the God of the Bible, make an alliance with an openly gay politician? Or those who believe in the, Tor the Torah make an alliance with those who believe in the Koran? The logic is refuted by Paul, who states, Be you not unequally yoked together with the unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. Well, politics is a game of pushing oneself to the front and typically doesn't attract faithful men. As Proverbs 20 verse 6 states, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find? Well, while proclaiming their own goodness, few remain trustworthy. Politicians descend into mudslinging with the goal of destruction of the opposing party or compromising their principles along the way. As the Proverbs in chapter 16, verse 27 to 30 state, an ungodly man diggeth up evil, and his lips are there is a burning fire, a froward man sows strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. A violent man enticeth his neighbor, and leadeth them into the way that is not good. He shutteth his eyes to devise froward things, moving his lips he brings evil to pass. Well, Trying to defend an alliance with men who live wicked lives is on a par with destroying the righteous, as we read in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15. He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. If the alliance holds up, God-fearing Jews will have to yield to a secular Israeli society in two years. During the first two years, many principles will need to be compromised if an alliance is to hold. And the Proverbs warn, reading from the ESV, like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is the righteous man who gives way before the wicked. While the buying and selling of allegiances to form or maintain a government is also not God's way, as we read in Proverbs 29 verse 4, the king by judgment establisheth the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthrows it. The reality is no politician knows what the outcome of the next little while is going to be. As you read in Proverbs 27 verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Well, thankfully, somebody else is really in charge. God's sovereignty over all nations is undisputed. As you read in Psalm 47 verse 2, The Lord most high is terrible. 
He's a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. And any ruler who owes his position to the God of heaven has Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, verse 37. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And Daniel recognized who was in control of the government of the world, as he states in his prayer in chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changeth times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He reveals the deep secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth in him. So Nebuchadnezzar would have to come to learn this himself by his removal from power for seven years, which afterwards he realized that this matter, Daniel 4 verse 7, this matter is by the decree of the watchers, the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. Now, there is no other country in the world that God takes more interest in, as we read in Deuteronomy 11, verses 11 to 12. It's a land that, uh, whither you go to possess, a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh water of the rain of heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for, and the eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it, from the beginning of the year even to the end of the year. So, any ruler... Uh, is there only because God in his infinite wisdom is furthering his purpose and has put him there. As Jeremiah 27 verse 4 to 5 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus shall ye say to your masters, I have made the earth and man and the beasts that are upon the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm and have given it into whom I seemed meet unto me. So the outcome of this whole scenario will be given to whoever God sees fit for whatever purpose he has in mind for the next little while. Comfort lies in knowing that God is in control, but more so in knowing that his son, the Messiah, will soon come to install a righteous government in Israel. As you read in Isaiah 11, verse 1, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the, girdle, or with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, in faithfulness, the girdle of his reins. And no alliance, left, center, right, or wrong, will be able to withstand this change. As we read in Isaiah 6, verse uh, 6 to, or 9, sorry, verses 6 to 7, Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. For his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace shall there be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. 
and this government will eventually extend to fill the planet, as Daniel 2.44 tells us, that in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it will break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it's going to stand forever. So all corrupt governments will be replaced by the Lord and his saints, ruling from Jerusalem and bringing all the earth's inhabitants under God's righteous laws. As you read in Isaiah 2, verse 2, It shall come to pass in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. It shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. Many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge amongst the nations, and shall rebuke amongst many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. So while we watch the Bible in the news, we don't put our, our trust in men but rather in the purpose of God that is on the cusp of being a reality when the entire world is undergoing the biggest political earthquake in history that it's ever seen. And we read in Psalm 83, verse 18, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Yahweh, art the most high over all the earth. For the Bible and the News, this has been Jonathan Bowen joining you.